Welcome to another episode of 32 Questions uh, as part of United Ireland's Dublin Bay South podcast Bonanza election cover. Is that, I'm trying, I can't remember our tagline. Our Uh, tagline is the battleground of Dublin Bay South brought to you by United Ireland. Okay, well, basically, as you probably already know, we're doing these uh, candidate interviews as special 32 questions episodes. And on this episode, we are joined by the Social Democrats candidate for Dublin Bay South by-election, Sarah Durkin. Hi. Hi. Okay, let's get into it. Get ready for kind of this is your life vibe mixed with um, policy pizzazz, I believe is the correct term. Are you ready? I hope so. We'll see. Go ahead. (laughs) What made you decide to enter politics? Definitely Waking the Feminists. Been involved in a campaign to end the patriarchy within five years in Irish theatre. Definitely made me ambitious to um, step into politics. Um, Once you see the lack of women in every sphere in Irish society, well, in every society, you kind of go, all right. And I think having cut my teeth on that, it was not too difficult a step to join the Social Democrats. Um, They were founded around the same time, 2015. I joined them in 2018. Um, And I don't think our parliament is representative of the people. Um, And I don't think that's a democratic and I don't think we have a proper republic if it doesn't reflect the makeup of the people. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Hmm. Um, it, at the moment, I have this fantasy of like post-pandemic times of a long full day of afternoon tea with all my friends and all the amazing women that I know that we get together and uh, we just have the chats and cook up more revolutions. How does it feel to be excluded by Fine Gael positioning this as a two-party race before it's even gotten going? Oh, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a boring old story that suits the the main parties. Um, Whereas I really see the Social Democrats as the party of our granddaughters. And we've so many parties that are the parties of our grandfathers and have been going on for years and haven't solved the problems that we have and have created even more. Um, So look, it's a tired narrative that suits them. Um, But I'm hearing different things on the ground. And we heard it in the last election um, and we're still hearing it. And I don't think the press always pick up on that. But if you go and talk to people, they're saying something very, very different. They're saying they want solutions they don't want Fianna Fáil, they don't want Fine Gael, they're wary of Sinn Féin. Um, and this is a very liberal, forward, progressive constituency. So definitely it's all to play for. Why did you decide to join the Social Democrats in particular? Uh, well, well, frankly, I wouldn't be running for, for any other party because they're all, like, they've been generations in, in the making and it is new and I think it comes out of repeal. Um, and as, as a gay woman as well, I, I think I never saw a place for me in politics and that changed with the marriage referendum as well, like literally out the street there, I live in Castle Street, uh, seeing that happen in, in 2015, I went, okay, maybe now that's a possibility. Um, but joining all of the other very established parties was not a goer. Um, and I think political culture is really important. And I've worked in a lot of startups over the years. So seeing it led by women, seeing them referencing Waking the Feminists in their manifesto, seeing how different it looks as a party. If you look at the makeup of our, we've more female TDs than any other party. And I think that really matters. And they're very much uh, walking the walk as well. On what occasion do you lie? Um, when kindness is required. 
what do you consider your greatest achievement? Um, it's definitely, it's not, not, not just mine, but all of us that worked on Waking the Feminist, people told us like you can't achieve that in five years. Um, and yeah, it hasn't been fully achieved, but when you see the sea change in Irish theatre, it's a very, very different industry. Um, and we've been informing policy, not only here in Ireland, but in, in Europe as well. And it is seen as a textbook for um, some types of activism. And Una, you were very helpful in that in the early days as well and gave us some great tips. So yeah, that's definitely um, our proudest, my proudest achievement to date. Uh, public amenities have become central to discourse around Dublin at the moment. Where do you think the city is going wrong right now? Um, I think we've really begun to value the value of parks and cultural life and arts in the city, but it isn't, there's not enough proper design thinking going on in the city right now about how we use public space. Um, it's very conflicted between people's need to socialize and have entertainment and then the needs for businesses and cars and so on. I think we need to be a lot more car free in the city um, and have a lot more sensible ways that we can entertain ourselves um, and have all night parks, all of that kind of thing as, as well is, is super important. And you've been campaigning on our nightlife culture as well. We need to be able to bring that back, but balance it with residential areas and the needs of businesses in the city. Um, and I think the traffic situation and cars and cycle lanes have a huge part to play with that. Um, and then we've left so much of it to the private sector, like something as basic as public toilets, you know, has been left to the private sector for the last 20, 30 years. And we realize uh, now we shouldn't be doing that. I think we should look at cities like Tokyo who have brilliant, gorgeous artistic designs for, for their public toilets. And you know what? It's the simple things that make life, make a difference to people's lives. So those kind of things need to be sorted. I could talk all day <laughs> about what needs to be sorted in the city, but that's just some of it. What are the top three issues coming up on the doors for you? Housing, um, housing, childcare, the environment. Um, uh, they're the, the main three. So housing is both broken down into affordable housing in this area, you know, uh, I've worked in the arts, I would not be able, I was able to buy this place with some help from my parents, but there's no way I'd be able to afford to live in Dublin Bay South and I've seen so many artists um, and creative people have to move out of the area. And speaking to people whose kids in their 20s and 30s haven't a hope of being able to buy or even affordable rent um, in the area. So that's a huge thing. Um, and as Social Democrats, we support public housing being built on public land. I think there's definitely an ideological opposition in the current government uh, to letting the uh, public purse pay for this. And it's the only thing that's going to sort it. Uh, we need to build a lot of public housing. We'd like to see a third affordable to rent, a third affordable to buy, and a third social housing built on public land straight away. The market itself has said it can't sort it out. And then we want to bring in a renter's charter, make sure we're temporarily freezing rent uh, across the city as well, and make it a lot uh, fairer for people to be able to 
live in rented accommodation long term. Um, you know, it's wrong that 4% has now become a target for landlords to increase rent per, and that's after tax. So what you have to earn before tax um, is, is even more to be able to pay that. And life, uh, generally quality of life and affordability of life is, is the big issue. Um, and then of course in Dublin Bay South, people are concerned about air quality, water quality, biodiversity, the big environmental issues as well. Um, and we're very lucky in the SOC Dems to have both Holly Cairns and uh, Jen Whitmore as two qualified scientists. Um, Jen is an expert in marine science, uh, Holly with, with farming. Um, and so I think we're well positioned to be an alternative to, to the Greens and have a very strong uh, environmental position. Which living person do you most despise? Um, it's really hard to despise people because I don't think it's effective, but... Mm. It's not that hard for us, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to. I have my like I have my kindness cards here I'm reading them on a daily basis. And look, it has to be the likes of of Donald Trump and Bolsonaro, those type of absolutely entitled dinosaur patriarchs who um, are fascists. What kind of generational divides do you think exist in the constituency? I don't see as much generational divides really obviously the ability to afford a home is is a thing but in terms of how people think not so much I think what we've learned from repeal and marriage equality is there's not as much of a generation divide in fact we should really continue to encourage intergenerational discourse and people are very kind like they talk about their grandparents and what matters to them and they talk about their grandkids and what matters um, for, for the next generation. So I don't think it's a, a sense too much of like, this is me, uh, this is what matters to me at my age and I don't care about anybody else. So I don't see so much of, of that. Um, but I do think there is a shift, like I'm in my mid forties, so I can look to my parents' generation, my mother at 75, how the world was for her. And at the kids who are now coming out with us, like the 20 something, 30 somethings, we've had a huge surge in membership in the branch and across the country. And it's a very different makeup to any other political party. Um, so there is that. And I think that junction between, again, repeal and marriage equality has made a difference and that will play out over the next 20 to 30 years. Um, and I, I think that's one of the most interesting things for us in the pandemic is what's happened with the disappearance of women from the public sphere. So I find it, I'm infuriated that, you know, having campaigned for several years for gender equality, that we could be put back 40 years. So I could be in my 80s before I get back to the point where I was in my early 40s. So that's just not good enough. Um, and we're not seeing enough women included yet in, in, in public life and in the even the decisions that were made around the pandemic, um, let alone uh, the full diverse makeup of who we are now in Ireland. Have you been personally impacted by the housing crisis? And if so, how? No, I, I haven't. Um, other than if I choose to like, you know, buy a three bedroom house, which would never happen in Dunmay South. I was very lucky to be able to buy my apartment in, in the city centre with, with help from my parents um, about a decade ago um, at the bottom of the bust. Uh, so my mortgage is incredibly reasonable compared to what most people and most of my colleagues are paying in rent at the moment. 
Um, I mean, reading Marco Halloran's uh, article in, in the journal the other week as an artist in his 50s, who's incredibly talented, and I've had the pleasure of working with him in the Corn Exchange, um, you know, to see the level of rent that he is paying and then the long term implications for retirement and so on. Um, you know, it is a time bomb uh, because, as we know, artists don't necessarily have pensions, et cetera, et cetera. So we are setting up the problems now are only going to become more exacerbated in 20, 30 years time um, if we don't have proper security of tenure and bring rent and bring housing under control. Um, but I haven't directly, but then it's much, much more difficult for my colleagues. And I, I miss my friends who've had to move to other locations or move out of out of the city or even move out of the country. Um, so it's impacted my, my social life and my, my friend's life. And it, like I've been living by myself for the uh, entirety of the pandemic. And there's maybe a couple of friends that I've been able to see. But so that's been hard um, because it's very sociable in, in Dublin. So other than that, on it's more pandemic related than housing related, I'd say. Mm. Which non-Sock Dems politician in Ireland do you most admire? Um, I am going to controversially say Ivana Bacek because, and I know my party might go, well, you're running against her, but I, I do um, ad admire her um, as a person and, and as a politician. Um, uh, she was involved with, with the Corn Exchange as well, and of course, Waking the Feminists. And I think... Do you know what? Um, I, I think there's too much aggravation in politics and too much, um, and people are fed up of that, of people shouting at each other and so on. Like I'm a collaborative person. It's about getting the job done. I actually don't care about the full left and right and who's left of left of left and center, whatever. I, I, I think that bores most people. It's really for political nerds. And as important that is, important ideological positions are, um, I, I do admire, uh, a generation of, of, of women who went into politics at a time, it was very, very difficult. Um, but then again, I'm a social democrat and I'd run against her as, as a social democrat and it has to be about our policies and, and what we stand for. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Um, well now, as, as a Mayo woman, I was actually walking past um, uh, Kathleen Lynn's house the other other day and I think um, and I only found out about her in 2016 um, you know between Grace O'Malley and sort of Mary Robinson in Mayo there was sort of tumbleweed uh, so I think Kathleen Lynn with her involvement in the rising with what she did for women's health care for children's health care um, and you know for who she was as, as a woman I think that was absolutely fantastic and I remember a great exhibition down in Mayo and had all these posters like what would Kathleen do um, and, and we don't celebrate the women of the past enough and it always infuriates me it's like oh yes there's yet another one we have to discover and I think as women we're constantly digging them, digging them up and finding them again whereas guys get their heroes fed to them breakfast dinner and tea whereas we don't as women so we're constantly having to uncover uh, women from the past who can be role models and, and icons for us. What should we do about the fact that one of the greatest amenities in the constituency, the beaches and swimming areas, have regular no swim notices? 
yeah, water quality is is appalling, not um, and uh, air quality as as well. There needs to be much more regular testing. We need to sort out the sewerage issue as well. The sewerage treatment is not up to par in the bay. Um, and I, like I have a lot of friends who go go sea swimming. It's not good. It's not good for our health. It's not good. Um, it's dreadful, but it needs to be sorted by regular testing um, and then sorting out the infrastructure problem with our sewage treatment. What or who is the greatest love of your life? Um, uh, well, I started dating during the pandemic, so that's been, been interesting. Uh, so I would have to say the woman I'm currently seeing. She's <laughs> Who is your hero? Who is my hero? Um, Hmm. Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of heroes. Uh, Leanne Bell, I think, is someone I incredibly admire for the work that she did and was absolutely wonderful to work with her um, through Waking the Feminist because she has such an integrity um, and kindness and no nonsense about her as, as well. Um, and she took a stand that all of us could see, but she was the one that, that broke it. Um, and, you know, I also had the great pleasure of meeting Gloria Steinem when we got the Lilly Award for Waking the Feminists in New York. Um, and then, of course, Mary Robinson, again, as a Mayo woman and our first female president. And I think it's made a big difference. There are a lot of Mayo women in the Sock Dems having uh, women as presidents for 20 years of my life has made a huge impact on us. But uh, we do need more in the legislative branch as well. What's your greatest regret? Um, not dancing more. I need to go more dancing, I think, once this pandemic is over. If you don't win, who would you like to see win? Hmm. Uh, definitely a woman. So I won't say more than that. What's your motto? Um, I do. <laughs> Um, it's it's one of those things that come to my mind a lot. You know the the Animaniacs, um, uh, Pinky and the Brain. What should we do tomorrow night? Uh, <laughs> try to take over the world. Yeah, that's, that's it. Very Alan Kelly of you, Sarah. Um, I do have I do have this as one that that I like for any woman going into politics. It's a card that I got after the last election, and it says, "The devil whispered in my ear, you're not strong enough to withstand the storm." And then today I whispered in the devil's ear, "I am the storm." Boom. There you go. If you could bring about one large kind of capital funding project that could transform Dublin Bay South, what would it be? Um, a large capital one. Hmm. It has to be around our, our transport infrastructure and making the city way more accessible for people. Um, I was talking to a guy in, on the doorstep the other day and he was giving out about um, how difficult our streetscapes now are because they're competing with tables and all, all the rest for people um, who have mobility issues. And we are essentially still a medieval Viking city, so it doesn't work. Um, if there was some way magically that we could take most of the cars out of the city overnight, which would not only have a transformative effect on being able to get around the city faster, uh, which seems counterintuitive to a lot of people I know, but also would have massive impacts on our, our health because um, one of the books I was reading during the pandemic, Clearing the Air by Tim Smedley, was all about the impacts on our health. So we'd have a vast reduction in strokes, in heart attacks, in, in, in brain 
um, diseases as well. Uh, so the, the level, I don't think we've realized that our car, our city is not meant for cars. Um, so if I could have that as an infrastructure, um, and particularly to go underground, I think we do need to invest in, in a metro in the city. It's crazy that a city of our size and a capital city that you can't get to the airport. Um, so I think Bus Connects has part of a role in that, but there needs to be much better design um, thinking around that and much better consultation from the get-go with people. I think we're very bad at um, consulting in, in this country and bringing in people from the very start rather than drawing up plans and then bringing them in. And people are smart and they know there are difficult decisions to be made, um, but we don't consult enough with communities. How do you think the environmental policies of the Sock Dems compares to the Greens and what are the big differences that you think you guys have done better? I think the big difference for us is around the just transition. You know, um, uh, I'm very much in favour of us taking like big action on, on climate justice and, and climate action and biodiversity, um, but it has to be a just transition. We have to make sure that carbon taxes and those type of things don't uh, further burden people who can't afford them. Um, and you see in the current climate bill, there's not enough, there's or barely any mention at all of a just transition. Um, so it has to be a nuanced approach that works for, for people, works for businesses and doesn't disadvantage um, people. So one of the things we want to do is a major retrofitting uh, program for homes where you could pay that off your, your electricity bill. So again, that's a smart thing that you can do. It reduces our carbon footprint and it puts money back in people's pockets. Again, making it more affordable. Um, it's helping people to do the right thing. What's your favourite film? Um, I hate this question. I hate the favourite film. One, I studied communications and film. So the fake in the film, but one I really like at the moment because I, I rewatched it on a, on a date night uh, is Booksmart um, mm. by Olivia Wilde. And I think it's a really underappreciated comedy gem that on, on, uh, it's sort of, turns on its head that whole high school um, comedy thing. Um, and you know what, it's really warm and, and fuzzy and super whip smart in, in the dialogue and really feminist uh, in a way that you don't see in films. Cause I always have this thing like, where are the heroic stories about women? Like where are the ones where it all works out for them? And it's the same in theater um, and plays and almost everything. So Booksmart is one of the few I can think where it's like, yeah, that's, that's a good one. And it's also, it's not, um, there's a lot of period lesbian dramas at the moment as well. Whereas this is a beautiful take on on uh, two young women finding their way in the world. Love that film. Yeah, is it great, great one to watch. Is it intimidating to see the Fine Gael party machine work so hard and have so many resources behind James Gagan? It's not intimidating, it's infuriating. It's infuriating when you see the, the years of, of privilege and, and money that you can pump into that and how easy it is. But at the same time, like I've worked in the arts, so I know how to stretch a euro and I, I know how to be smart about stuff and as, as do the SOC Dems. Um, so like elections come down to like time, money and, and, and people. We certainly have the people and the enthusiasm. Um, if you look at our, our purple teams going out through the constituency um, and, and where they've come from all over the country to help us put up the posters and so on. That's the sort of thing. So it doesn't in, intimidate me in any way, um, but it's a hell of a lot of money. So that tells me they're scared. Who would you like people to transfer their vote to if they vote number one for you? Um, to generally the left, for sure, and to a woman. 
there's lots of us running in this race, actually, which is great. But it's an absolute disgrace that in Dublin Bay South, you know, uh, we have uh, until this by-election, we've had four male TDs, you, you know, like no constituency should be entirely represented by one gender. It's the first party after all the restrictions are lifted. You're a headline DJ at a festival. What track do you play as the sun goes down? I would have absolutely no idea. My DJ <laughs> skills are appalling. <laughs> okay, we'll give you a like, It just needs to be a bop. What's a bop? I have a uh, good morning, Baltimore. That's something I've been listening to walking around. I know it's a musical thing, so um, but it, it does give me a lift when I'm, I'm walking around the streets thinking of something. I just need something cheery because usually I listen to music that has no words in it whatsoever. Like it's like nature sounds and thunderstorms and things like that. So I can relax my brain. So not the most. I wouldn't create the best DJ set, I tell you. <laughs> What's the main thing you think you've learned about yourself over the past year and a half? Mm. Uh, it's funny because after like I've went from an election in January 2020 into lockdown and spending a lot and kind of reverting to my introverted uh, teenage self with a lot of crafts and baking and uh, all sorts of stuff. Apparently my apartment is perfectly set up with knitting <laughs> and baking and so on for it. But I think I've, I've learned to listen more and trust my own judgment and be more settled in myself um, uh, and I had you know I worked with a, a writing coach as well to rediscover my voice so I'd weirdly fallen into a silence I think during the the pandemic um, so it's interesting going from an election into a pandemic straight back into an election so it's properly woken my brain up in the last few weeks what would be your last meal uh, mm. I love anything with cherries, pistachio, and chocolate. So some combination of that, probably with an ice cream. What do you hate most about politics? Um, one that it is so aggressive and uh, it just doesn't get the job done. It kind of grinds everybody down and doesn't let enough people into it. Um, uh, and, and genuinely it's just not diverse enough and I think I speak to a lot of young women it's like I don't know how you can do what you're doing it's like well one it just needs to be done so more of us need to step up and step into that but the whole political culture needs a radical overhaul um even the design of of, of the doll of this thing of like it's it's a I don't know an 18th 17th century construction that's not fit for the complexity of the, the the solutions that we need to find in the 21st century um and I work with Science Gallery International which is all about collaboration creativity breaking down silos and so on um you know even the department structures of of agencies as I was saying earlier not speaking to each other that doesn't work um and I think as, 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 a, as a feminist and as a creative person, it's about talking to people and finding out what are the solutions together, but not roaring at each other. It's much too aggressive what and not you, effective. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? Hmm. Um, I think being lonely, you know, um, and not recognizing that you're connected to the world. It's really hard when I'm on the doorstep uh, talking to people who 
admit they're suicidal, you know, um, or can't get the health care that they need um, and feel that they are they don't have a part or they're apathetic um, about society or society doesn't care about them. Um, and I think we've had a huge wake up call to what's very important in the pandemic, which is other people and, and caring about each other and also genuinely having joy and pleasure in our lives. We should talk about joy and pleasure a lot more in politics um, because it's all about the market and making money and the economy. Um, whereas if you go from a principled approach from human rights and from, from pleasure for what we need as human beings to exist, which is connection, um, uh, and then all the other infrastructure and policies should flow from that. What has been your happiest moment in life? I'm generally pretty happy. Um, but it, uh, do you know what? It really is the, the waking the feminist thing of that explosion of energy. There's a giddiness that happens when you finally break a silence and everybody in the room recognizes that that's the thing that's happening that we've all been dealing with and feeling empowered to be able to do something about it because feeling not empowered or feeling silence is really really depressing and I think we deal with that a lot as, as women as not being able to be in charge of our lives or, or feel powerful so having this moment of turning the world upside down although be it briefly in one small sector uh, that was awesome. What's your greatest hope for the future? Um, we finally will see an end to the patriarchy hopefully in my lifetime, but I have to be slightly more realistic than that. I'd have to live very long to see that. And we haven't seen that any country in the world. Like while we have a lot of laws around equality, uh, we don't, there's no, there's no country in the world where women have the full experience of what it is to be equal. And that's appalling in the 21st century. And I see like my niece turned three the other week, like what, how can I look her in the face if we don't do what we need to do now to make the world more equal? And your 32nd question, what do you think sets you apart from the other candidates running in Dublin based South and why should people who may be on the fence vote for you? Um, well, I don't know that there's any other lesbian feminist arts worker activists running currently at the moment. <laughs> I haven't a legal background. <laughs> That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Sarah Durkin of Social Democrats running as a candidate in the Dublin Bay South by-election. Those were your 32 questions. Thanks a million. <laughs>